And good evening and welcome to the Trenton 365 show, friends. I'm your host, Jacques Howard. Uh, I'm reading a script for the introduction, so bear with me. I am your host, Jacques Howard, and you're listening to us live on the stellar award-winning station WIMG 1300 AM and WIMG1300.com. If you are watching us, you are we are coming to you from WPHY Fios. Channel 28, and over-the-air broadcast, Channel 25.1. And joining me tonight is artist, filmmaker, and all-around pretty good guy, Bill <laughs> Nobes. Bill, welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. And folks, uh, if you are familiar to the program, you probably have seen Bill over the years on the program or heard him. He's going to be back quite a bit in the next mm, four to six weeks talking about some of his arts projects. But I want to, for the folks who are on TV, I'm going to show them a few things. Bill has graced me with a few gifts. We've got Analog Trenton. I've got a couple of CDs. I got a dope local artist design t-shirt. And a bunch of vinyl. And for those of you out there Vinyl is a big thing again. So we're going to be talking a bit about that and talking about that project and getting you an opportunity and a chance to reach out to Bill so you can see what this aspiring artist is doing, capturing content and encouraging people throughout this region. So Bill, um, I just found out something when you came onto the show earlier okay. that you live in Wrightstown. Yes. So I thought for sure as much time as you spend in Trenton and hanging out with everybody who's in the art scene in Trenton, I thought for sure that you had ended up moving to a location here in town, but you didn't. No, I live on a, a farm out in Wrightstown. I moved from East Village, New York, to Long Island. Bad idea. Um, <laughs> fortunately, I was able to work from home, and I, I moved to a farm in Wrightstown and ran it as a chicken farm for 11 years, uh -huh. selling eggs locally. And, um, and then I decided to close that and start a studio. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I got. I guess I missed New York to a certain degree, and I started the studio before ever hearing about Trenton. I'm like, okay, I got a studio. Where is there a music scene? Mm. And then one thing led to another. The next thing I know, I'm into the coffee shop, and I meet Abdul and Nikki and a whole bunch of people in one day. Mm -hmm. And then you know, I, within months, I was here talking about Antigone, which was the first event mm -hmm. I did in Trenton, mm -hmm. and the community welcomed me so so warmly that I've never stopped doing things here. Mm -hmm. And they, they basically let me do all my crazy ideas. <laughs> uh, and that's one of the wonderful things about having a community that's supportive of artists. Yes. They kind of let you do your thing, and then you can connect with others who are doing the same thing. Talk about your experience from how you came into Trenton and how it's been so welcoming for you. Uh, I never have been to a place that was so collaborative. Mm. Um, all the arts work together and it's also very diverse and one night you can hear hip-hop folk and, and metal on the same stage mm -hmm. and I've never seen that before and the community was just very open and accepting and um, there's not a lot of attitude compared to other scenes I've been in you know people help each other mm -hmm. more so than, than most of the other scenes I've been in mm -hmm. over the years mm -hmm. now you talk about your time in East Village and even on the last time you were on the Trenton 365 mm -hmm. show you talked about like that and how the scene was and, and the way artists like come in they do all this wonderful stuff then they kind of get dispersed around and um, so I guess everyone's thinking the idea and the mentality gentrification etc but you've seen art and you've seen communities develop and thrive 
through arts. How would you relate what's happened in other places to what's happening here in Trenton? Well, I was in Hoboken when that exploded, and I was in the East Village when that exploded. Or rather, I was in the uh, Meatpacking District when that exploded, and I was at the end of the East Village, because uh, living there. And what happens is they rise and then they fall. And that's not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, that's just the way society works. Mm -hmm. And they fall, you know, they change differently. Maybe fall isn't the right word, they just change, and they, mm -hmm. they move. In Hoboken, we were pushed out by land value, same thing in the, in the East Village. Now, what makes Trenton a little different, I sometimes wonder if it's the size of the city, where it's um, a lot uh, bigger than Hoboken, but a lot smaller than, than the East Village and the Meatpacking District. Because the meatpacking district just—it's now galleries and things I can't even afford to walk into, mm -hmm. never mind participate in. Um, so I think maybe we're at more of a stasis here, mm. um, for better, or worse, whatever. But that's that's what I, I kind of feel like it might be, mm -hmm. and that's uh, allowed the scene to have a little more time, maybe, mm -hmm. to to find itself mm -hmm. and to grow it. And I want to continue to drive this home because. Um, on several occasions, and even just before we came in, you were talking about the art scene here in Trenton and how diverse it is and what's here. Um, what do you think people who are local who don't see what's happening with the arts, what do you think they're missing? What are they missing? They're, they're missing an example of what can happen when people work together. Um, I've always loved the history of World War II because we saw the scrap drives, the rubber drives. We, you know, we had people working that weren't allowed to work before. We had people doing things that weren't allowed to do things before. And we could see what the benefit is of working together. And I see that in Trenton where, you know, it is collaborative and people help each other out. And they're more interested in, in producing great stuff mm -hmm. than they are in posturing. Mm -hmm. um, that strayed from your question a little bit. but. Yeah, they're, they're, they're missing seeing what, what can happen when people, you know, work together. Mm -hmm. Now, your background has, has been in lots of different things. And I remember, I think our first conversation was about film. And mm -hmm. uh, it was when you were doing it. Uh, before Antigone, you did that. Um, it was like a black and white kind of the film. Projectorama that yes, was after, yes. after Antigone. So can you yeah. just uh, refresh my memory about that and just talk a little bit about your background in film-like production? Well, I started in theater. Oh, and actually, no, you're right. I did start in film projection because it was in college. Well, I, I started my own first theater company when I was about six or seven years old. And I did shows in the backyard and the garage and things like that. So I've been doing this um, for a long time. But one of the things that really amazed me as a projectionist at a college theater, and I programmed the, the program as well, is how I could change people's lives. Mm -hmm. Just by choosing the program. I would do you know, uh, comedies I would, you know, for the people, the, you know, the really popular ones, and seeing students come in stressed out and exams and stuff, and being able to let them laugh for two mm -hmm. hours and see them come out relaxed. I did offbeat indies for our regulars. We had also just people from the town of Hoboken. I went to college in Hoboken, Stevens. Um, come in and I could expose them to foreign films that they wouldn't have seen before. So I learned then that by just programming a, the a film program, I could, cha I could change lives, even if a little bit. Mm -hmm. But that gave me just the view of what art can do and what you can do as an artist, but even if it's just something like programming a film program. And I've kind of stuck with that. In my theater work, I ended up doing experimental stuff downtown. Um, then into you know the nightclub cabaret scene, ended up being technical director for one of the most probably the, the anchor of the meatpacking district, a place called Mother and Jackie Sixty, okay. um, and that was just transformative because uh, that was about the art. They never really made any money, mm -hmm. um, and it, it just drew crowds from around the world, 
and it was uh, that's what I did seven days a week for a couple of years, and that was just wild. It could be Debbie Har De Deborah Harry one night, performance artist another night, fetish acts another night. It was everything. Everything was on that little stage. Mm -hmm. and, and so, so that gave you an opportunity to see and share all kinds of things, like this big, big pot of like diversity in the art yes. scene. I mean, I also learned there was one of the most transformative nights was a modern dance program there too, um, based on the Martha, Martha Graham, and we had. Um, Gus Solomon Jr., who started with Martha Graham, and then went to work with Merce um, Cunningham, who was a pioneer of dance. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I heard about oh, this famous dancer, famous dancer is coming. Then he came to this sound check, to te technical rehearsal, sat in a chair and did just moved around in his hands, never got out of the chair. I'm like, this is dance? What's going on here? This is the... so. Then that night of the performance, he took me and the whole audience back and forth between laughing and crying, just by moving in a chair. And that night I realized, okay, art can communicate on levels beyond speech. Mm -hmm. um, that's why we all love music. That's why every culture has dance, because it's an expression that goes beyond words. It's an expression that goes beyond sight and vision. It's something spiritual, I think. Mm. That's amazing. You know, looking, looking at you while you're saying it, I can see that you went right back to that time, that point in time in the past. I can see it in your face. Like, <laughs> like you were feeling the emotions that you felt watching that performance. Uh, I'm, I'm told, that I, I also worked in drag back then. I spent okay. three years working in drag. I'm told I transformed a bit. <laughs> All right. So let's transition, right? And let's talk about Analog Trend. Right. Now, since you've been here, and, and I've been fortunate enough to spend some time with you, have you on the show, and then to see you like in the neighborhood and stuff like that, moving into art scene here in Trenton. And I remember you talking about this idea, and I remember seeing a lot of posts, like you said, from Nikki and others, Caleb, on social media about Analog trend. So for the first, for the person who has no idea what analog means or has no idea what analog trend is, how would you explain it to well, them? Let's start with analog. Um, back in the day, the records were made on analog tape, on magnetic tape, reel to reel. And then when digital came along and CDs happened, the analog went away, and everyone said good riddance at first. But now it's coming back because they realize it's a, it produces a different quality of sound. Not better, not worse, just different. The recording medium is an instrument in, in of itself, and it, it records sound differently. So now analog tape, reel-to-reel -reel tape, is coming, becoming more popular, and vinyl sales have just outdistanced CD sales for the first time. Mm -hmm. Now, I decided to build an analog studio because I wanted to um, have to provide this opportunity to artists to record with this these old methods because you know, I have a background in analog technology and wires. I know a lot about wires. <laughs> um, so it seemed like a perfect fit way to document this scene, and I wanted also to make it um, analog from start to finish, meaning it goes through recording to mixing to mastering to vinyl without ever being converted to digital. That is extremely rare now, because usually, it's even when you record it in analog, you go to digital for mixing or mastering, and then you put it out to vinyl. I wanted to make it pure analog all the way, and that was hard. Mm -hmm. And they added quite, that was the biggest check was the, the analog mastering of the entire project. Mm -hmm. um, the entire project cost about eighteen thousand mm -hmm. overall, mm -hmm. so it was a pretty big project. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea was so that's the analog side, and the idea was to represent this music scene by recording every band with the same equipment, mixed with the same equipment. We, you know, so it was an equal playing field. So it wasn't like okay, this band could afford this giant studio and this one can't. Let's put them all together. Mm -hmm. So it's not really a compilation. It's a very unique album, and that. We tried to capture the live experience as much as possible because a lot of times you go to a club, you hear a band, then you buy their album, it's totally different. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to capture what it really felt like to be here 
to be in the clubs and listening. And I think we, we did that very well. So as I said, I was hoping to get like 20 bands and we had to stop at 40. Mm -hmm. And 40 bands showed up on time. Mm -hmm. No one was late, no attitudes, no, you know, no issues, no problems. Everyone was, was enthusiastic and worked really hard. And I'm very proud of what we what we came up with. Mm -hmm. So while you were making that previous statement, um, first I want to tell folks that you're listening and watching the Trenton 365 show heard Tuesdays over WIMG 1300, and you can find us on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trenton 365. So while you were making that statement, Bill, and I've got Bill Nobes in the in studio. He's an artist, and he's also a filmmaker and a bunch of other things. But we're just going to give him the big overall umbrella title as artist. So I'm um, Bill. When you were making that previous statement, a couple things clicked in my mind. Like, okay, so we've got analog, and you're doing something that's very difficult to do by keeping it all reel-to-reel. -reel. And you're doing it here in Trenton, which a lot of people, even folks in Trenton, are turning their nose up to what's happening here in Trenton. Why are you so passionate about Trenton and the art scene here? I'm passionate about people ex authentically expressing themselves. Because mm. to me, that's the root of art. And it doesn't matter, you know, to me where it is or who it is, as long as they're doing that, I want to be involved. Because um, that's what fires me up, is people expressing the things they need to express. They, they just feel the passion to express. I mean, that's one of the true nature of artists. A lot of us would really love to stop, you know, but it's more painful to, to, to stop than it is to keep going, because we you know, have something to say and we want to say it. And there's a lot, a lot of that in Trenton. So that mm -hmm. makes it a very special place artistically. Hmm. Now, um, and from my time with you, I've never had the, the thoughts that, that your focus for anything was to shine on me, like Bill Nobes. Like you were never like, this is Bill, this is Bill. You were always, this is a group project. You know, you're, you're thinking about the community, everybody being involved in this. Um, have you considered the magnitude of putting together something like this that is historic? and documenting the art scene here in Trenton? Have I considered the magnitude? No. Um, to me, you know, the best way to go through life is by uplifting others, you know, and, and living a life of service as much as possible. And to me, that makes me the happiest, is by helping others, because that also helps me attain my goals. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's a win-win. So I always make that focus. Mm -hmm. And what has been some of the feedback from the from the artists who participated? Oh, it's been amazing. People have said they they gave up on music until this project. People are writing new songs for this project. Some people I, I've heard from several artists that this was they thought these tracks were um, as good or better than their studio tracks. So it's been just an amazing response. Hmm. Bigger. I mean, this project became bigger and larger than I ever anticipated it could be. And that's what I love is when something develops a life of its own, mm. an energy bigger than what I could put into it myself. Mm, fantastic. And uh, folks, you can find out more information about Bill Nobes by going to his website. It's BillNobes.com. BillNobes.com. Right? And it's N-O-B as in Bravo, E-S. BillNobes.com. And Analog Trenton has a Facebook page. Well, it no, it says website too, AnalogTrenton.com. AnalogTrenton.com. All right, folks, you're listening and watching the Trenton 365 show. We'll be back after a short break. More with Bill Nobes.
And welcome back to the Trenton 365 Show. You can send me an email, trenton365show at gmail.com. I'm Jacques Howard, and in the studio with me, I have Bill Nobes, and his website is Bill, N-O-B-E-S, which is his last name, dot com, billnobes.com. He's an artist, but tonight we're talking a bit about Analog Trenton. Analog Trenton is an analog recording of musicians over 40, well, 40, you said, right? 40, 40 bands. 40, yes. 40 bands that uh, performed, and Bill and his team recorded them, edited them, mastered them, and reproduced them, and distributed them, and are doing it on vinyl. Da-da! <laughs> For those of you who can see, da-da! Hide that upside down. There we go. And I'll be jamming to these later on tonight. Uh, there's some local, lots of local town on there, Black Collar Biz, Khalil Ali... Let's see who else. Uh, Caleb, um, Doc Rotten, wow, Dirty Old Robert, Ro- Robot. That's, that's you. Me. Yeah, Robust One. God rest his soul. Stampy Goblin. Wade Wilson. Josh Adair. Doris Spears. Wow. Benny J. Sue. There's so many wonderful people on the CD. Most of them I consider friends, and they show what's happening here in the music and art scene here in Trenton, New Jersey. So, Bill, you got Analog Trenton. You got it on vinyl. You got it on CD. You got cool shirts and everything. What's happening next with this? With this project, I'm just tr- going to be promoting it. I'm going to be, I'm, you know, looking for promoting music right now. It's really, really difficult. I've been researching. I've been studying. It's really hard because there's so much noise. And I'm, I'm trying to work through that and figure out ways of just letting the world know about this album because I think as a community art project, that's one important part. I don't. This is not a compilation. Compilations are groups of other tracks recorded wherever. This is much different. And and I want to express it as a community art project because that's really what it is. Um, and it was also, you mentioned the team. It was a team of people stepped forward to make this thing this thing happen. Sean Glonick um, engineered it. Um, Michael Capitelli um, helped out. And I, I, Eileen Sullivan and my co-producers, Griffin Sullivan and, and Nikki uh, Nailbaum. I mean, so many people stepped forward and donated their time to make this project happen. It was very humbling in that way. Um, so next, I want to let the world know about Trenton, and let the world know about what a, a scene can do on its own. There was no commercial support for this. This was 100% community, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's pretty special. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely is special. Um, when a lot of times I think Trenton gets a bad rap for lots of different things, and then to know that a community-based art project like this took place, um, you were able to raise the funds, you were able to get everything done, complete the project, etc., and it was really done by like like almost like a network of people. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's next. It's figuring out how, how, how to get it out there. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about getting it out there, other than getting airplay and so forth, um, are you are you looking to get special opportunities for the artist, or is this like an analog Trenton project? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I'm still trying to figure that out because mm. getting to, to figure out what people respond to, from both a press standpoint and other standpoints, that's that is a challenge. Um, I would love for the artist to get exposure. I would love for the idea of community art to get exposure, and I'm gonna work on both of those angles, and and do as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, why? Because it's worth doing. I mean, people say, why you put all this time in this? It's just worth doing. It, it makes the world a better place, and that makes it, better pl- it a better place for me as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Bill, you've alluded to that a couple of times tonight, um, about what you're doing, what you feel is the right thing to do, 
as a human being and that you want to make things better in, in community, et cetera. Has this always been a perspective of yours? Yeah, my teenage years. I woke up one night saying, my God, I need to leave this place better. And I've been doing that ever since. I don't know where that came from, but it just did. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to follow that ever, ever since. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I know sometimes when, you're, when you try to be have the focus of living your life in a particular way, positively. Like sometimes you start hearing more noise, right? And, and I say that because this work that you're doing, it would be easy for you to reach a tough situation and say, you know, I'll just go back to my farm. I don't really need to do this anymore. What helps you persevere through this? Well, that's, I mean, one of the things I want to, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons to do this project for me was to prove that I could do it. Mm. Because one of my issues, personal issues, and in, in earlier on in the 90s, let's say, is sometimes things would get too hard. And I'm like, I don't think I can do that. So when I looked at this project and I said, this seems impossible, I'm going to make it happen, period. Was for me, because the studio, the whole studio idea was ambitious. It was absurdly ambitious. And to think that I could do this, part my lower self was saying, no, you're an idiot. You can't do this. So I'm like, if I can do this, then I can do anything else. So I just kept, go- I kept going. I refused to stop, mm-hmm. no matter how hard it got. Um, there were a few days where I was just like too exhausted, so I laid in the couch and said, I'll do it tomorrow. But I always ended up getting up again, and I wanted to prove to myself that I can do it. And since then, I've proved that I, to myself I can do this. I've upgraded the studio. I now have the soundboard from Caesar's Palace, this giant thing. We went from one-inch tape to two-inch tape, and now we're, you know, the next step is to start doing this stuff for real. Um, and even up the game further, and that's what we're doing now. Um, briefly, the artist development program is the next thing. I have five albums in production. Mm-hmm. I'm giving the, the artists unlimited time, but we're going to talk about in other weeks, talk about that a little more, just to see how far we can go. I love the fact that you're so passionate, but at the same time being passionate, you're also um, very optimistic. And you're not trying to, it seems like you're just kind of, okay, I'm bookending this and I'm gonna, we're going to move forward. And you're not like saying, okay, well, if this doesn't actually, actually go exactly how I planned it, I'm going to stop. Well, I've learned that too, not to plan too far ahead, is to go forward with intention. Mm. And uh, I know I, in the 90s, uh, in the early 2000s, I did a deep dive into Buddhism, and that really made a difference, meditation, other things, where you learn to focus on what's going on now um, and not worry too much about the future. You want to plan for the future and have intention, but to get really tied down and say, this has to happen, then this has to happen, usually it doesn't work that way. Mm. Um, so I, I find it's not useful to, to think that way and just go with what, okay, what can I do now? What can I change now? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look at, when I started this, there were a lot of things in Trenton that were good and bad, and I saw this as, okay, this is what I can do. And, you know, I want to give you kudos for having that mentality of saying, okay, well, look, I see all this stuff that's happening around, and some of it I like, some of them I don't like so much, but I'm just going to keep doing what I do. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us get frozen, you know, that paralysis by analysis, like uh, I, I, I can't do this because of that, or all the things that you can't do, but I'm glad that you're moving forward and pushing forward. Um, so with the artist development I know when we when you come back in the next couple of weeks we're going to talk more and more about this so for the folks who are listening for the first time they're like man I didn't know this project was happening um I, th- I want to get involved in that what should they do well you can go to my my studio website is dirtylrobot.com right now the program is closed because it's it's very full um, and the artist development program is is uh, I'm providing unlimited studio time and some funding for four artists to um, to work as long as they want to find 
let work develop. Because you hear about famous albums of, of the past, and many of them took uh, over a year to make. Like uh, Fleetwood Mac, uh, several other albums took over a year. And you'd think, well, why, why did it take that long? We're finding that out right now. And <laughs> so wait, I'm going to interrupt you, and, and let's give out some teasers as to what that is. Well, for example, we, we, with one artist I'm working with, we did the scratch tracks, and then we had the drummer come in. But turns out we needed to rethink how we were doing it because she's guitar-based, and the scratch tracks weren't perfect. The drummer's out of time. So we, we put in like 50 hours into stuff, and we said, no, it's not good enough. Let's scrap it all and start over, and that's what we did. We scrapped 50 hours of work and started over and ended up doing, we just finished pre-production um, a few, uh, like a week ago, and it was 114 hours of pre-production, just getting things where they need to be in order to, because we don't want to compromise. Mm -hmm. let's, let's take the time and do it right, period. Um, and that's what we're doing. And we're going to be in production for weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months, because you want to get it right um, and learn how, learn what is kind of becoming a lost art of the studio as a tool, as a developmental tool. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, a lot of bands today have, can only afford like a weekend. They got to do their whole album in one weekend. Um, so a lot of the, it, a lot of the potential is, is lost because sometimes it takes time to mm -hmm. let a song or an album find itself. And when you say find yourself, and I'm not a musician and don't have any musical, you know, talents. When you say find yourself, I'm thinking a band may play a song one way and then say, hey guys, why don't we try it a little differently? Or hey gals, let's speed it up or slow well, it I down. I can give an example. I was working with Caleb on one song, Caleb Ray Walker, and I, I saw a tension in it that I don't know if he saw. Um, it was a comedic song, but was also some real truth in it about families. And... We just kept working it and trying it different ways and trying it different ways. And finally, we, we went too far in one direction, too far in the other, and finally we nailed it and exposed the comedy and the tension at the same time. And I'm not sure Kaylee even knew it was there. And some, another song we had some trouble with, we just couldn't get the vocal right. So at one point, I just put him in a different room, sat him in a chair with a cheap microphone, and said, pretend you're at a campfire and sing it that way. Boom, nailed it. Because songs, to me, have like this golden thread inside. And the job of the producer and the job of the mixer, sorry, is to uncover what's there, uncover the truth and the authenticity, not to add effects and add stuff. You want to remove as much as possible and find the truth. That's as, uh, how I see it. Hmm. Now, with your artist development project, um, how established should the artist be when they come to you? Well, I'm right for this one. I have every I have every range. I wanted to try out pretty much everything. I have. Um, um, Aaron Incoherent, who has several albums out already and has toured and has been doing this for a long time. And I have Colette Rubinsky, um, who's only played out a few times. But um, when I heard her play at Abdul's, I was very impressed with her writing. And I have a few people in between there. Burn the Band, the Bastards are recording with me as well. Um, so it's every range and, and multiple genres, too. Mm -hmm. Ventress is recording with me, too, and I'm really excited about that. And um, so that, that's where I am with that, trying out everything and just see what arises and, and see what happens. <clears throat> it's pretty amazing. And um, so with the artist uh, development project, can you tell me a little bit more what that's going to consist of? Of course, it's going to consist of studio time and, and sharing your skills and your profession in the studio. But is it going to expand out to um, promotion things, live performances, etc.? Um, promotion, yes. 
I'm going to continue building out the infrastructure that I started with Analog Trenton to get, you know, right now it's on all the streaming platforms and it's an online store. I want to expand into Amazon. I want to expand into promotion in general. I figure once, if I have Analog Trenton plus, you know, several other albums, the cost of promotion per album diminishes. And so I can hopefully afford to, to create these channels and marketing and promotion and, you know, in, in those areas. That's still, I'm figuring that part out. Right now we're still making the albums. Yeah, gotcha. I'm figuring out how to do that part. And then we'll, uh, I hope to go from there and to, to, to create these channels where I can, can create authentic work and have a, a way to move it out into the world um, that's more efficient than, you know, an, an artist or band doing it themselves. Fantastic. And, and I love that concept of doing something on a smaller scale locally to a community of people, helping them to get to that next level, which is pretty much the impetus behind Trenton 365, is mm -hmm. to be a platform mm -hmm. for all the cool stuff that I see and for people to become friends with the people that I'm friends with because I think they're good people. Well, Bill, I really appreciate your time here this week. We'll see you in the next couple of weeks, and mm -hmm. you'll be sharing more and more, not only about Analog Trenton, but about the artist development program that you're doing as well. Yes. Excellent. Thank Folks, you. Bill, you're welcome, Bill. Bill Nobes, uh, who's an artist, and you can find him on his website, Bill Nobes, N-O-B as in Bravo, E-S dot com, and also AnalogTrenton.com. You can find out information about both of those projects. But Bill's going to be back here in the next couple of weeks, a few more times, and we're going to be talking about all the wonderful things that he's doing to highlight, share, and enrich the artists that are here in Trenton, New Jersey. You've been listening and watching the Trenton 365 show. Stay tuned for part two.